0: Hi, this is Cam Smith, and this is the podcast of Triple R's Eat It, a weekly radio show about food and drink broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Sunday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and feel free to get in touch with us via the Triple R website. Good afternoon, everybody, on this glorious, glorious autumn day. As I look across the beaming countenance of Carl Chapman, a very good afternoon to you, sir, and a good afternoon, Cam. Looking well, thank you. And you? You have been riding hard and and much. Uh, just the ten minutes up to the studio. Yeah, but you, you were saying you were up in Warrendale a while ago. Oh, yeah, Yeah,
1: yeah, but to that beautiful farmers market they've got down by the riverside there.
0: Uh, it sounds good. It'd be actually it'd be a nice uh, thing to be doing today. To be out in the regions. Or part of all the stuff that's happening in town. It should be a good show today. I'm uh, very, very much looking forward to it. Uh, Let me give you a quick preview as I open up my running sheet. There we go. Uh, On today's show, uh, during this hour, we're going a little bit far and wide. And actually, I went a little bit far and wide. I went down to Docklands, down in Collins Street, the new Collins Street that goes over the train lines, to the Bureau of Meteorology, which was a bit of fun.
2: I know that building well.
0: You do? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's not bad. It's not bad at all. But I had uh, the great honour to talk to climatologist Dr Lynette Beggio uh, about, well, what's happening? Because we've we've had uh, the La Nina system that has dominated our weather, and that's one of the reasons why everything looks so lush going into autumn and winter this year and uh, just have a bit of a chat to her about um, climate, climatology. After that, related to that, I think, uh, Yost Baker and Joe Barrett from the greenhouse that's down there at Riverland Walk at Fed Square, um, an incredible, as I say, test bed for new technologies of closed-loop systems. Unfortunately, Matt Stone couldn't be there, so uh, but that's part of the team. It's this sort of this holy trinity of um, of testing new things there. So we're going to have a chat about that. And um, we have a chef who's going to be on the line. His name is Josh Fry. He's from Poodle in Gertrude Street, a, um, a restaurant which I really admire. I really, really like what they're doing. So we're going to have a bit of a chat to him and give him a bit of a free kick about what Poodle's all about. Down there in Gertrude Oops, i nearly started to do an accent. Gertrude Street in Fitzroy. Um, and he's gonna also do a bit of a market report.
3: This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organization in Melbourne, Australia. To find out more about Triple R or to explore many more shows, podcasts, articles, videos, and interviews, head to the Triple R website at rrr.org.au.
0: All right, well, I've got to say, this is a little bit exciting because uh, I am here in Docklands. It's the the old continuation of Collins Street. I'm delighted to be in the presence of a climatologist, and her name is Dr. Lynette Betio. A very, very good afternoon. Thanks for taking the time.
4: Oh, very, very excited to be here. I've been a long term Triple R subscriber and long term listener, so yeah, very happy to be here.
0: That was awesome when we first had our chat a couple of days ago, and you said, Yeah, I listen to Triple R, yeah. and Sunday afternoon, so you know the sort of audience that this is going to be going to. Enlightened people. <laughs> yeah, you know, the, the good folk, that the supporters of 3 Triple R. We'll get into climatology and uh, some prognostications because that's your gig. Yeah. But first of all, on behalf of everybody, I just want to say thank you. Bureau of Meteorology. You guys are just awesome. The service you provide is incredible and it's great to see an example of government really working for us.
4: Yeah, and there's there's a lot of good people that work here and really yeah. just I suppose just trying to make a make a difference, warning people, increasing their resilience, putting out those forecasts and mm. you know putting out those long-term forecasts like we do in my section, so a lot of people that are really just interested in weather
0: <laughs> when there's danger and there's calamity there are people who walk towards the danger and you guys are the ones who are telling us about it so thank you for that and also while i've got you um thank you very very much for the bureau of meteorology calendars they are awesome and april with that uh, with that lightning and those clouds looks pretty awesome as well
4: oh they're great photos aren't they so if you Taking those weather photos, it's um, please just send them in, because and you might get it on the calendar.
0: Do you get a credit?
4: You do get your name on the calendar.
0: Yes. Hey, there we go. There's there's a, an aspiration. First of all, climatology. How do we? Should we just start with the definition of that and what you do?
4: Well, some people say weather, uh, climate is what you expect, and weather is what you get. Uh, so yes. climate, we we look at those. Uh, past those weather time scales so look at those long-term background conditions so which way is the seesaw being tilted which way is the dice being loaded mm. so there's still that random nature to it still the weather you still you know you might throw a six instead of a one to three but you know which way is the is the bigger system tilting those odds
0: and i was just kind of curious you obviously have awesome qualifications because you have doctor in front of your name and congratulations on that but I was wondering what sort of skills do you need to bear to become uh, or really hone to become a climatologist to do what you do
4: well, it it's certainly an interest helps. So I did my uh, PhD actually looking at El Niño and La Niña right. and the impact it, that it does have on Australia's weather. So in my section, we, uh, we don't do the research as much, but we take those, all those models bit like the weather forecast but we look at it on climate time scales so we've just had that La Niña that I heard you talking about a few weeks ago with one of the Y producers. Thank you
0: you said you were (laughs) delighted to hear us say that a a lay person talking about that you thought that was really cool.
4: I, I thought it was great because you know not just you know like myself talking about uh, the climatology, but people actually taking what we do, taking those forecasts, taking that information that we give and actually using it in their decision-making and using it to talk about the season that they've just had. So, yeah, so that's really, you know, what we're really interested in actually, getting that information out to people, getting that science out to people so they can use that in their decision-making.
0: So you must be very, very good at using, I imagine... I'm imagining super computers, super number crunches and there would be an awful lot of statistics and probability variables that you would be very au fait with?
4: Yeah, so that's a big part of it, especially when you come to climate where you're really setting those boundary conditions, you're setting those odds, you're looking at, looking at where you're operating uh, within that envelope of you know of shifting. So we know that, say, El Nuno uh, tends to have... Uh, uh, Drought over Australia, and with La Niña, we tend to have wetter conditions. But, but that's not always, you know, it's not always La Niña equals wet and El Niño equals dry. So, looking at the certainly using those computers can really help us, uh, you know, really calculate all the those little, you know, dynamical calculations that we need to make to to make those models better and, and run them better.
0: But you you must have some computers with some real grunt. I mean, we're not talking about an Apple. Um, powerbook powered by an m1 chip it'd be a bit more than that isn't it
4: yeah so some of the some of the biggest computers in the world yeah, yeah uh, well those supercomputers are used to you know to calculate those weather forecast models because there's just it's so many calculations in it so many um those little bits of lines of code then, and that they have to get right
0: and you've got one of those upstairs
4: uh, well, not on the building, and we don't know where it is. So, yeah, so it's um... <laughs> really. <laughs> yeah, well, I, well, I don't. I, I'm not actually. I'm not. Don't actually know a lot about the computers that we use. I'm just sort of glad that we get the results out of it.
0: How on earth did this really, really important thing—the ENSO, the La Niña, uh, what do we get? Um, Southern Oscillation. Why is it named? I used Spanish? How did that?
5: Arrive.
4: Oh, I could talk about this for ages. So we've only got—I um, don't know how long we've got. It's actually in the in the tropical Pacific. So it's actually this weather um, phenomenon that happens in the tropical Pacific that impacts us over in Australia. So mm. over in the you know in the east near South America, so we had the trade winds blowing from east to west. So, okay. it goes yeah. from South America all the way over to Australia. So, in the normal situation, you'd have those trade winds blowing, blowing those waters over to the west closer to us, mm-hmm. um, and you'd have warmer water near us, and you think, you know, warm, warmer air can hold more moisture, it yeah. rises, so we get more rain in our region. Now, La Niña is the enhancement of that, but we'll start with El Niño because that's where it all first started. So. Yeah. With with that situation, as as that water blows across towards us, it gets replaced by colder water um, from underneath. Yes. And our, our, the El Nino situation, that cold water coming from underneath, you know, which I think was, was nutrient dense, you know, good for fishing, it, yeah. it switches off.
0: Good, good for the phytoplankton yeah. and the and the food yeah. pyramid of the sea. Yes.
4: And so. They, they noticed this over in South America and they, they called it El Nino because it, the boy, because it came around Christmas time that they noticed it. So, mm. so, it, and then they actually noticed that actually this is a phenomenon that impacts over the whole uh, Pacific region. And then someone, you know, some really smart people, some of them at the Bureau, noticed there was a relationship between these just this water changing—it's only 0.8 degree of a yeah. change that we're talking about here—that we yeah. we say is the threshold for El Nino and La Nina—that actually that impacts that go, um, ha, goes with drought over Australia. So when we isn't it? oh, it's it's it's, a, it's... I, I was liking it, you know, to exploring space or exploring under the oceans. Just these all these things that we can. With this new technology, we can see these changes in the water. We can measure them. We can see this now and see these relationships. It's only It was really only around 40 years ago that we sort of started to notice this. So it's its still a new science.
0: And it's sort of like... Um, what are we talking about with fractals and things like that, the butterfly effect?
4: Oh, so... Well, again, it's really... We're setting the boundary conditions, but there's always going to be that little butterfly flapping its wings away that, you know, you're not going to get the same every time. There's always going to be differences in weather. And then, of course, we discovered the Indian Ocean, plays a role too. So it's not just El Nino the boy, and then they called the opposite of that La Nina the girl when, yes. when they worked out that she that she has a role too.
0: Or in some cases they call it, what, what is it, uh, the uh, El Veggio, the old man as well Ooh, as...
4: I haven't, I haven't heard that one yet, so yeah. I'm going to have
0: to maybe, look that maybe, up. Maybe like, that's big in Argentina.
4: When I go back to my desk. But yeah. yes, the, but then we, of course, discovered that, hey, the Indian Ocean... Um, has a big role in our climate as well. So,
0: and that's and some sort of that we talk about a dipole yes. effect with that. Is that right?
4: Yeah, that's correct. The Indian Ocean dipole. dipole so, yes. and that also, um, and then they interact with each other as well. So it's not so... all
0: butterflies flapping. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, um, we've got um, we've got a few more minutes to to break this down. But first of all, where are we, and what do you prognosticate?
4: Well, we have yeah, just that's a we have just finished a La Niña event. It's over. It's it, it's it's over. So well,
0: when did it end?
4: Uh, probably just a few weeks ago. We yeah. saw the um, we saw those. Uh, the atmosphere. So, what we really we're talking about sea surface temperatures, but we're really talking about the atmosphere as well. So, when that atmosphere starts responding to those sea surface temperatures, and they start reinforcing each other, um, we really start to we really start to say that's an event proper. And so, we saw, we saw those sea surface temperatures die away, and the atmosphere the response in the atmosphere died away too. So, and that's actually usual. It usually happens around autumn. You start to see that die away, and then you know you, you might see another one come up but it's it, in our models when it's not forecast it's to right. to reappear at this stage it's still looking new, like a neutral situation for she's gone yeah she's gone so she's, she's gone Yeah, away. She's, she's not coming back for a while we'd, we'd like to see her come back we, we like so, her in australia a little bit better than her brother i, think like I was say. going to
0: say so to ossify it a bit so what about the little fella is he yeah. uh, is he poking his head up? And are we all going on the gourd?
4: Yeah, not at this stage. They're oh, both couldn't... they're both being they're both being pretty quiet. Maybe they're away for the weekend. But yeah. yeah, so we we do we do this is something that we do monitor though because of the importance of on Australia's climate. So every and, and, every... The, and
0: the ramifications are huge, and because we're moving into this accelerated warming, which we all acknowledge, some of us, the ramifications are huge.
4: Yeah, so. I suppose when we have these underlying trends of warming and we have these underlying trends of, you know, some parts of southern Australia getting drier over that over that growing season, over that April to October growing season. So it's important when you do have, like... So we, we've talked about rainfall, but I think, you know probably some of your listeners would be aware of the lack of really hot days over the the last summer that we've just had with La Nina as well.
0: I was fine with that personally. Yeah
4: Yeah. exactly. I mean rather
0: than 45 degrees in four days in a row.
4: Definitely and that has you know those really those very hot days as you said would have a huge impact on the produce on on the you know the wine on the um growing the grapes
0: and and life and property itself let's face that yes. let's extrapolate that out
4: yes yeah, so when we do get something like a la nina that's i suppose bucks against that trend yes. it's yeah it, it's good that um that we can get some warning of that so take advantage of that and and yes. yeah and perhaps yeah, how are we going to accommodate that into our decision making for yeah. for the season
0: so the to paraphrase the way that we are we've um the La Nina has um, receded and not disappeared, but is off the, the picture at the moment. There is a, no uh, little boy happening at the moment yet. Or um, we, what are we doing? We're going into sort of like a, a middle area.
4: Yeah, so it's it's not swinging one way or the other. We've got the seesaw balanced in the middle at the moment. It's not going to La Nina or El Nino. Mm. And that's, that's what the forecast is saying out to... Out to the, around the start of spring at the moment, but of course we do. We put out an update every two weeks on a Tuesday if you want to have a look, and we do keep an eye on that to see if the situation is changing. It's it, autumn is the is the time of year where you do see lots of changes. So as we go further into winter or spring, we could see some signs that emerge then. But we will, keep, of course, we will be monitoring it all the time because it is important to Australia.
0: Have you got a favourite month of the year weather-wise? Oh well
4: I do love autumn we we love our we love our autumn fruits we uh, mm-hmm. last night we were cooking the chestnuts over over oh, the really? around the fire so Yum. that's something that we like to do I like to, I like to you know do my olives and the passata yeah. and
0: get the and first all, mushrooms
4: yeah all those things so yeah so autumn is but I do like I must admit I do love spring as well when we sort of get that first sign of New, warming up new life new growth so i do love my garden so i, I yeah. do love spring
0: too. i'd agree with that too but i'd also put in a, a little thing for june because june is a really interesting month in that it's the calm month it's the yeah. it's the month of mists and uh oh, well for me anyway shiraz and uh, slow <laughs> slow cook things yeah.
4: Oh, that sounds very good to me. Maybe you can make me a convert to June. Yeah.
0: Hey, I'll swap you for, uh, for one of those calendars. Uh, again, uh, Dr Lynette Bedio from the Bureau of Meteorology, thank you again for taking the time to chat with us. And who knows, maybe we might check in with you again around springtime.
4: I would love to. And hopefully we can back in the studio. Yeah. <laughs> thank
0: you. Thank you.
3: This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. Triple R is listener supported radio and receives no direct government funding. If you would like to financially support Triple R by donating or becoming a subscriber, hit up rrr.org.au to find out how.
0: Uh, Second interview coming up uh, down there by the Yarra is a beautiful place, Um, a place of a possible future. And uh, I got to speak to a couple of the team. Uh, that would be uh, Joe Barrett and, of course, the incredible Yost Baker. Unfortunately, Matt Stone, the other part of uh, that, and Lou, who's also cooking, couldn't be there, but we did chat to Yost and Joe, and this is what happened. I'm in a kitchen. Uh, I'm in a kitchen in a really interesting place that's by the Yarra in a part of Fed Square, and uh, the great delight that I have is that. I'm surrounded by great talent and innovation and especially in Joe Barrett and Joost Baker. A very, very good afternoon to you both. Thank you for being here. It's a pleasure, Yeah,
1: thanks, Cam, for coming down. Mm,
0: You're still doing those pistachios, I see. I've been helping out with pistachios, but I am here at Greenhouse, so maybe we'll start with you, Joost, and please, Joe, just elbow me in the ribs if you want to add something, What was the
5: genesis of this idea for this testing bed of technology here in the area? Started when I was a kid. I'm just obsessed with everyone. I think everyone could grow their own food. Mm. I think I love the idea that a house can be an ecosystem and can nourish us. And I just think that there's so much joy in actually being surrounded by food that you grow. And there's nothing quite like growing, harvesting and cooking your own food.
0: Che, you want to add anything to that? We were talking about how people just... There's so many people divorced from growing food, haven't we?
1: I think that people have probably stepped out of their food system and maybe there's a little bit of shame around not knowing how to plant a seed, so people are really steering away from even getting involved in their food system and it might be a little bit overwhelming. Yes. And I think this project of the greenhouse and future food system is about reconnecting people to their food system and showing that it's actually quite easy and I guess part of this house is that it's an experiment and we don't even have all the answers and that we have had failures and that that's okay
0: yeah for me it sort of seems like we take incremental steps don't we and and this is a trialing of technologies and ethos and growing and things like that would you agree with that Joost?
5: Yeah, I mean, it, uh, it's, anyone that says to me that you that don't agree that we could have a complete food system in a city like Melbourne that could nourish a city like Melbourne mm. doesn't quite understand the quality and the calibre and the volume of dope that is grown in the rooftops of Dutch houses.
0: <laughs> I was like, where are you going <laughs> with <this>? me? <laughs> me too. Because okay. there
5: are literally hundreds of thousands of houses in Holland that are growing the best marijuana in the world no no sunlight. We've got, a, uh, we've got a closed loop system there. Yeah. yeah. And so we can learn from that vast knowledge <laughs> and expertise and grow the most incredible food where we live. Are you just trying Isn't to that? appeal to our audience here for Triple R? <laughs>
0: Let's just step back a little bit for the listener and paint a picture of where we are and what this place is and what it looks like and how it's constructed. So
5: it's, it's a, actually going to be my mum's my house. So she's sold her farm, and this idea uh, has been in my mind for a long time, and, and actually the first greenhouse in 2008 was meant to be this. It wasn't meant to be a restaurant. It was meant to be an example of a house that grows its own food.
0: Where was the first? One? Was that down at um, the Square for Food and Wine Festival?
5: No, no. No? Here at Fed Square in 2008. Oh,
0: wow. Okay. Yes.
5: And so many moons al- ago, it's always frustrated me that people have just constantly referred to the greenhouse as the restaurant or... A, you know, that zero-waste place. But it actually mm. was meant to be an example of what our houses could do. Yes. And we are destroying the earth at the moment. And it's, you know, it's, it's doing... It's just so depressing to see that we are... Deforestation is happening so fast. Our oceans are being depleted. You know, how many documentaries do we need to see before we actually start to look at solutions? And the solution, to me, is so practical. We are the only species on earth that generate waste. Mm. And the solution for me, I believe, is in our waste. So if we incorporate the waste that we generate back into a food system where we live, we can radically change how we live, how we eat, and and then take pressure off our existing farmland and stop destroying it and start replanting and rewilding it and, and, you know, I just think that... And then also it's the, it's the emotional benefit of being surrounded by plants, being surrounded by fish, having to feed and look after chickens. And, and, mm. and it doesn't necessarily... If you live in an apartment, you can still grow crickets and you can have an aquaponics system and you can grow mushrooms. And mm. and I just love the idea that your house could have the microbiology that exists in, in the air of a rainforest.
0: And, and have a closed-loop system. Joe, what has it been like? Cause... You've been habitating in here. You've been living in this uh, in this space. Can you give us a, tell us your description of it and how it's um, affected you in being in this space?
1: Well, it is a house. So it's a two-bedroom house mm. that we're situated literally in front of Deakin Edge at Federation Square. Yep. And we get a lot of people wandering past saying, is it a restaurant or is it a house? But it is a house. Mm. Um, we have two bedrooms, an entrance, a stairwell, a kitchen and a rooftop garden and the house has been weighted down by the garden. So we are living amongst um, and making it really convenient to be growing food because we're living with it. It's like Jo says, it's under our nose.
2: Yeah.
1: And it's, a lot of people have asked about are the systems um, difficult to maintain because we're growing mushrooms here. We've got two aquaponics systems and then we are literally surrounded by garden but the answer to that is that they're kind of um, a bit of work to set up, mm-hmm. but to maintain it's just the ongoing day-to-day, what you would do in your own home. It's not like you have to travel out to your backyard. Your backyard is actually part of your kitchen here, yes. um, and it's probably easier than finding a car park at the supermarket, and I think that's what is so intriguing about this project is that it is it is really convenient. It is not you know, I was... So it hasn't
0: been that onerous about keeping up the maintenance once you get the systems going.
1: No, I mean, it's like feeding your dog. So instead of feeding the dog, we're feeding the fish. Well, I was and
0: thinking, like, oh, so you can also going use the thing of feeding the, the starter, the sourdough, you know.
1: Well, I feel like maintaining a sourdough starter is a lot more work than what we've got. <laughs> You're right. The chickens, we've got two chickens, um, so we let them roam around the garden, but...
0: What are the chickens' names
1: Stephanie yes. and Maggie. Hey. After our favourite chefs. Ah, oh, lovely. <laughs> yes. um, Whose
5: idea was that? I'm, no? a big, I'm a big fan of both those yeah. ladies. Mm.
0: So yes, yeah, so you've got uh, you've got chickens as well, but you said you've got so there's two aquaponics.
1: Two aquaponics systems. Why two? Uh, so we have one cold water system on the roof where we have yabbies, rainbow trout, and freshwater mussels, oh and then. God. Downstairs, we have a warmer climate aquaponics system where we're growing barramundi. That was probably one of the biggest learning experiences for us. Just setting up that ecosystem, watching how once you get the balance right, it thrives. I feel like that's the key to all of this. We're just setting up these tiny little ecosystems and realising that us as people are a major part of those ecosystems, that Mm. they rely on us Mm. and we rely on them, which is like a really cool thing.
5: Big this is what I should explain to Matt and Joe. Is if they're not here, mm. the the system dies. So it's like nature. Every element is as important as another. You know, there's nothing that's ah, uh, you know, this is the most important thing. There is no most mm. important thing. Every element. You know, the mycelium convert yes the cellulose waste, like the stalks of the corn and the mm. paper and cardboard, into a material that plants love, and then the worms well, the biodigester converts waste that would otherwise go into landfill. So they eat polystyrene. And we've got mealworms that... And That's the mealworms that eat polystyrene? Yeah, That's that so cool. That, have, that are now becoming beetles. Yeah. And, and then the beetles are great food for the fish. Yes. You know, it's, it is really... Every element is kind of a closed element. And um, mm. it's been... It's, 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 for, to be honest, it's a dream come true. I think it's...
0: Um, well, hopefully
5: it's a harbinger of a
0: possible future. This this is the sort of thing, and we can't be complacent about this. We have to take these steps to make things happen. We can't be like the frog in the in the water as the 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 water sort of boils around us. That so we we have to react to some of these things. And this is this is good that you're doing
5: these things. And I think that we have spent two and a half million years in our food system. Yeah, we spent the last hundred trying to remove ourselves from it.
0: Correct. Good point.
5: And it's like. A mistake. I think that we need to be immersed in our food system. We need to be surrounded by it. We need to breathe the same microflora. That mm. you know, it's. I, I just think there's massive potential. And I'm not mm. a believer that the city will look that different in 50 years' time. I just think that the whole of the city will be completely green and overgrown, and you know, vertical systems and mm. and um, lots of LED lighting that is solar powered, that is growing plants in dark, um, you know, yes. uh, locations and um, aquaponic systems everywhere and, uh, you know, there are potentially 30,000 plants that we can eat.
0: And this, these, all these ideas need to be trickled down to general population and and I'm just wondering if people want to find out um, information about what you've been doing and, more importantly, how it can apply to them. How do they do that? Do you want to take that, Jack?
1: Yeah, well, we have our website... Um, where we put a lot of resources up there as well. We've got our Instagram where we're posting dishes and I feel like that's probably where we're trying to reconnect or like connect with people the most is through food because everybody eats but also if they were going to recreate the dishes that we're doing or they'd like to cook like this, comes from, well, you should plant a garden. Yes. Um, It's not about selling anything to people, it's just about getting people excited about the possibility that you can make a difference in yes. the world through food. Um, so, yeah, through our website, we've got a YouTube channel, and we're uh, just about to release a virtual reality tour if you can't get down and see the house in real life.
0: Great. Okay. Well, we'll um, I'll get Matt to put all those sort of information and thing up there. Uh, search string for Dr. Google.
1: Uh, future food system
0: boom or greenhouse fed square is probably a good place to start and then you could go through there there's two things that i I would
5: highly recommend following joe barrett on instagram (laughs) she has a great ability to be uh incredibly honest about what is going on and uh warts and all and it's really good to see and there's some great dialogue going on with questions being asked and we try and answer whatever questions pop up but yeah we it's just a journey, and we don't know all the answers, and that's why we're doing this absolutely and
0: here's two things i was I was going to sort of mention is one is sort of evolution, but the other is just the idea of of stewardship um, looking after things and if you can get the population to do more of that, then there's more care for the, for their own environment, and that gets extrapolated out would that be
5: unrealistic to say that? Absolutely. I mean, you're not going to use certain chemicals to clean your shower if you know that water's going back into your plants.
0: Yes, yes. And I, you know, the whole world
5: is like that. I find it bizarre that we happily use these toxic chemicals that we know go into the ocean. It's one planet. So, you know, this is obviously radical... it's much smaller than that because it is your own ecosystem, but the whole world is our own ecosystem. I find it bizarre that we use all these materials and toxic materials and toxic chemicals. And and so, yeah, you're much more aware and much uh, very reluctant to use them when you know it's going back onto your own food system.
0: That's a good idea. Joe, one of the things that you said... Looking at one of your Instagram posts of recently, which I do love too, I wholeheartedly agree with what you said there, but you said one of the things that really has... Um, tickled your fancy was the ability to grow mushrooms inside and getting to understand mushrooms and the mycelium and all that sort of stuff that's been cool isn't
1: it yeah it's something that i never thought i would like we would be able to do to grow yeah. mushrooms always think that oh someone else would be doing yeah. that an yeah. expert could do that but we can and mm. you can do it in your shower yes. and then from that it's this wormhole of research that you go into because you, you start going hey why are they turning brown or you know why do they actually need oxygen? And then you realise that the whole planet is con- connected by mushrooms, and that's what puts uh, nutrients into our food is mycelium. So it's just unlocking so many things around the world and the planet that makes sense. Mm. So it makes sense to be living in your food system to yeah. me. Yeah. So it's been a wild experience, and I love it.
0: Well, it's, I have been just an observer from this wild experience. I remember coming in here while the place was being constructed, uh, we saw the first surge of growth that happened, which has been... Thanks to your watering. Pff, stop it. <laughs> Flattery will get you anywhere. But it has. It's been a great trial. And I think that's the, probably the, the most important thing, is that you're trialling new technologies and, um, and hopefully disseminating that to the people. And for that, I really, really do applaud you. Is there anything you guys want to say in conclusion?
1: Joe? Thanks for helping with the pistachio nuts. It's <laughs> ah, OK. Yeah, we did
0: a few kilos. I've got pistachio finger.
1: And thanks for helping get the word out. It's, oh, it's, I think it's about that. It's community.
0: Good. And
1: the, the movement of this is going to come from people.
5: It has to, doesn't it, Yost? Yeah, I, I agree uh, with Joe. Your uh, this long-running show that you've had going for, I think, what is it, sixty-five years now? Yeah, On I think so. Three R.
0: Yeah,
5: is <laughs> started late. in the Civil yeah. War. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And it's incredible how young you still look. But, you know, I love that every single person in hospitality, you know, turns the radio on at 12 o'clock every Sunday and oh, listens to you. Know. And we all know what's mm. going on thanks to you and your oh, brilliant work. I wasn't looking for a platitude. <laughs> Thank no, you. Though. we appreciate it. Okay.
0: I appreciate what you guys are doing because we only got one planet and we are just hurtling towards destroying it. But... You to give us a little bit of a wee bit of hope and the Titanic uh, is shifting. Yeah, and uh, let's let's hope so. The pendulum shifts again. If you want to find out about this future food systems, greenhouse fed square, and um, there are so many things that can trickle down and are possible for you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for joining us.
3: This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. Triple R is listener supported radio and receives no direct government funding. If you would like to financially support Triple R by donating or becoming a subscriber, hit up the Triple R website to find out how.
0: We got Josh Fry from Poodle on the line here. How are you,
2: Josh? Hello. Oh, very well, mate. How are you?
0: Now you are the uh, you are the Grand Chef de cuisine, uh, Avec uh, Poodle.
2: Yeah, you could you could call me that, I guess. Yep. Yep. The
0: the, he, the head guy oh, there. Um, the,
2: head, the head man.
0: The head man behind a pan. That's it. Love your work, what you do there. For those that haven't been fortunate enough to come down to Poodle on uh, Gertrude Street in beautiful downtown Fitzroy, what's the place like and what's the ethos behind the idea of the place?
2: Oh, well, Poodle's got a space really for everybody, I feel. Um, Multi-level, kind of huh? multi-level we've got um we've got pdr private dining rooms we've got uh you know we've got our downstairs bistro which is kind of more of a i guess european leaning ethos behind it all you know think of like duck cassolets and big ribeyes with prawn butter and things like that Mm. um which is delicious Mm. i think yeah just Um, just
0: made me hungry just by saying those two words prawn butter Mm.
2: Uh, that's it Two things go together so well. Mm. Um, We've also, I guess we kind of, uh, you know, we're trying to do some throwbacks as well. So, you know, we're doing volavants and um, prawn cocktails and kind of the things that, you know, a bit of party food, a bit of fun back in the day, you know?
0: Yeah, and uh, look, I've been only lucky enough to uh, come on the front of the the place to to have a bite, but I was blown away by... uh, well, staff are awesome as well, it should be mentioned. But um, the, the very fact that I was describing to you, there's sort of this um, uh, presentation ethos that imagine you're in the, the Dorchester Hotel in the 70s and you've ordered room service because things are on beautiful plates. There's a lot of napery, meaning napkins, shaved ice and silver salvers and things like that. Was that a Indeed. very conscious decision?
2: Yeah, I think I think um when when I came to work here and saw the uh, design of the building I was mm. like and kind of uh, Zoe and Emilio's ethos kind of going you know what they wanted out of poodle I think that it just screamed you know ornate glassware and uh, silver silver trays um, and things mm. so, yeah it kind of it kind of just Went all together, and then you know that scream. Those things kind of scream prawn cocktail, you know.
0: Yes, and volovon on a doily for God's sake. You get, exactly. And where yes. the hell do you find a doily these days? I know it was. It's still hard. Trust me. I bet. I bet. <laughs> yeah, it's not something you can just pick up at the supermarket or the. No, not at all. Pop down the Seven Eleven and you get a six pack of doilies. Um, <laughs> yes, and uh, so. What is what was your, um, your your background before you you came and found yourself um, at Poodle?
2: Um, I've been working. Well, I've worked in Melbourne my entire life uh, for, for, for cooking for fourteen years, and I, for the last seven and a bit was with uh, the McConnell Group, and I, you know, went worked at Cutler and Cutler and Co. Marion Ooh, um, yeah. and Cumulus, yes. uh, and then um, just kind of you know. This this popped up. COVID made it a little bit hard for us to open this restaurant, but um yeah. here we are now.
0: Yeah, well, look, the the place is singing. This is a podcast from Triple
3: R, an independent media organization in Melbourne, Australia. To find out more about Triple R or to explore many more shows, podcasts, articles, videos and interviews, head to the Triple R website at rr.org.au.
0: Here we are in uh, in this in this glorious season that uh, we we leave summer and we have all the abundance of autumn. Uh, wh- Beautiful what's, autumn, yeah. What's yeah? Wh- what a gentle, gorgeous autumn and things are green around us. What's on the menu to uh, to reflect that? And what are some of your favourite tastes and sensations of autumn?
2: Um, well, autumn. I, you can't you can't go. Uh, autumn without pine mushrooms, can you? No. I mean, they're just they're just starting to pop up, and they're yeah. they're starting to look really really good at the moment. So that's pretty cool. Um, and we're we're just mucking around with some pine mushrooms with some pasta with a pasta dish, um, oh. which is pretty cool.
0: What sort of noodle? A big
2: big noodle? Uh, we're doing Parisian gnocchi, so it's like a shoe pastry that you blanch and pan fry, which is quite delicious. Wow! It's like yeah, it's it's a cheesy gougerrie type pasta. <laughs> it's some it's, I got it's a... like three three dishes in one it's amazing yeah um yeah it's pretty good uh i I also you know autumn does have you know all the cauliflowers starting to pop in and stuff like uh the romanesco is soon to be here which is which is exciting
0: the 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 fractal in a in a in a uh, in a a head of vegetable
2: that's it that's it which is pretty cool Mm. um yeah that's really fun and then you know we've got apples and things coming in as well, um, which we make, a, we take our apples uh, and make them kind of into a savoury dish, essentially a potato really? and apple, yeah, potato and apple gratin with a cheese custard, which is uh, Oh my God, great. that sounds yeah. crazy. It's pretty, it's pretty decadent but, uh, um, and pretty delicious.
0: And it'd take a bit of pepper, I guess, with the, with the yeah.
2: yeah? Yeah, the white pepper's where it's at, I think. White um, pepper. To go okay. with them. Yes, yeah. The king of pepper, I think. Uh, really? Um, okay. Yeah, I,
0: I think there, so. Because there's so many people that you know, you have their giant pepper mills or smaller pepper mills, or some have even got battery electric powered pepper mills. Oh, the, electric, I, the
2: fancy ones. Which,
0: yeah. which I reckon is just a bit stupid. Um, it is a bit. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, but so why is white pepper better in your in uh, your I, mind?
2: I just I just like it for its uh, for it, I guess it's a little bit uh, spicier. Yes. Um, It's kind of got a bit more of a floral kick to it, I think, which I quite like, you know? Agreed. You know, the thing Uh,
0: I always think of when I think of white pepper, the personification for me is the South Melbourne dim sim. Oh, definitely. Because that is so uh, powered by white pepper, isn't it?
2: I think it's eighty percent white pepper, to be yeah, honest. Yeah, it
0: could be. Um, <laughs> and and what about? Uh, do you do things with um, with quinces when they come in?
2: I was just about to say quinces. Boom. Uh, yeah, us. yeah, they, they're they're amazing. I love quinces, and especially this time of year, you know, you can put, we we slowly poach them overnight at a pretty low temperature, about a hundred degrees. Uh, so, so they, they go, go that
0: beautiful burgundy color. Yeah, that
2: deep burgundy, which mm. is you know what you exactly. Sex. Um, yes. And then you know. You can we 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 do that with a, a claw so like a bait. A, a claw um, oh. yeah.
0: The, the yeah which, sur- surrounded by batter.
2: That's it. Yeah, that's it. Mm. Um, yeah, which is delicious. And then you know quinces, quinces scream duck. Quinces scream. You know they scream savory and dessert, which is pretty great.
0: They uh, yeah they they can do they can go sweet, but they can all do the uh, I can cut through fat thing.
2: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> which is cool.
0: My superpower.
2: Yeah, my super superpower, cut
0: through fat. And and seeing you're you're going to be going, you know, with this sort of, you know, uh, a, a slight look back over your shoulder with a bit of a wink. Let's face it, um, yeah. uh, chestnuts. Do you do anything with those?
2: Um, well, we're, we're not yet, not mm. yet. They are a, they are an absolute pain, to they, be honest. Yeah, <laughs>
0: actually, agreed. I've, uh, I've actually I remember doing chestnuts at two faces with Herman Schneider, and it's getting that second skin off.
2: Exactly. Oh my God, that is just feel, a nightmare. You feel like you've won the won the battle when you've taken the shell off, yes, and then all of a you've, sudden,
0: only, you've started the campaign.
2: You've done the easy part. You yeah. Know? <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: And and <laughs> you and you might have separated your nail from uh, you know <laughs> from the, from the rest of your finger by, <laughs> by trying to peel them off, but it's like oh no, now the now the work begins. All right, what what other things do you love about autumn?
2: Um, I think you know we've got. The cauliflowers, all those kind of Yeah, what are you going to do um, with
0: those? What are you going to do with the Romesco? Romanesco or Romesco? Romesco is I, a I sauce, it, isn't it? Yeah, Romesco is
2: the sorry, sauce. Yeah, sorry, Ro- dude. Roman, Romanesco, I believe. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, chef. Uh, no worries. My pleasure. Yep. Um, we, we're we just going to uh, poach them in buttermilk and then pan fry them and then serve them with a uh, cafe de Paris butter, which is, you know. One, no, um, way. I think yeah, I feel like most of my food involves about three kilos of butter. But um, yeah, that sounds awesome. It is delicious. So, and why
0: why poach them in? What's the buttermilk's gig in this thing? <laughs> well, we've the got sourness? number one.
2: We yeah, the sourness. So we make a lot. Of, we make our own butter, so we've got a lot of the uh, oh, buttermilk around. So it. it is an excuse to use it. Yes. But also, it does does bring a nice sourness to the um, like cut some acidity to help cut through that ton of butter that I will be pouring over the top of it. Just,
0: just because it's buttermilk, and you are saying it, you're sort of you're using the whey from the curd, yeah. and yeah. so therefore, when you're simmering it, it doesn't split. Is that
2: it? It kind of it kind splits of splits a yeah. little bit. Yeah, but like yeah, it, it kind but of separates cool. to a little bit. Yeah, it's 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 all
0: flavour. Yeah, and I can imagine there's more white pepper going on that, isn't there? <laughs>
2: Definitely. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I've, got, I've, I've got you pegged. Yeah, and, you've, uh, got,
2: you've got my, my ethos
0: now, don't you? I, d- I do indeed. Um, okay, well, we've got time. If you have one more that you, uh, a, a thing that you maybe want to speak about custard apples, uh, we can't really do much with that. Yeah, over to you. What do you uh, reckon?
2: I must admit, I've never used a custard apple. No, I've no, never no. been really too no. excited by them. Um, I mean, uh, uh, something I've recently seen is some uh, olives uh, coming off the trees, which is quite cool. I mean, they're a massive mm. process to make edible. Yes. But um, yes. They, they are a bit of, you know, fun for a little home project, I reckon.
0: Mm, yeah, that, actually, that does sound like a very, very good idea. Yeah. Um, Josh, I'm sorry we didn't have more time. I think we might have to revisit you because now that we understand each other and where we are with food I think we can have some, some good conversations uh, where is Poodle, here you go, one last <laughs> little plug, I'll one give last you, thing. Yeah, <laughs> plug. you. Uh, Poodle is 81 to 83
2: Gertrude Street in Fitzroy
0: yeah, and um, come on down, used and recommended by me, well I've only been there maybe, well I've only been there once but I would love to come back again um, Please do. take care, thank you for your Thanks, time Cam. Speak
2: Cheers.
0: soon. Thanks a lot. See you. That was Josh Fry saying how white pepper is valid and sometimes even better. You- Hi, this is Cam Smith, and you've been listening to the podcast of Triple R's Eat It, a weekly radio show about food and drink, broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Sunday. Hope you enjoyed the podcast, and feel free to get in touch with us via the Triple R website.